if somebody told you on New Year's Day 2020 how much the world was going to change, you probably wouldn't have believed them. But suppose you had known, what would you have done differently? How would you have prepared? And what if you'd even more time to prepare, say three years? What action would you have taken? Would you have moved somewhere different? Applied for different jobs? Developed different skills? Would you have warned your friends? And do you think they'd have even believed you? We can only look back now at these hypotheticals and wonder what we could have done. But here's the thing. There's another crisis heading our way. A crisis that's sure to be worse than COVID-19. It's the climate crisis. We still have time to take action and as a result live happier, healthier and fairer lives. So the question actually isn't what should we have done, it's what will we do now? And how can we use our experience of COVID as a wake-up call to take real action? Welcome to the COVID Alarm Clock. Hello everyone, welcome to the COVID Alarm Clock with me, Dara Wynn. And me, Ellen Hagerty. Um, this is a podcast where we look at our, what our experience of COVID can teach us about climate change. We are recording this podcast remotely from our respective houses in Dublin City in Ireland on the 19th of December 2020. And this episode is focused around the subject of media. Yeah, yeah. And this is a big topic to cover because uh, we've seen the media really at their very best at times during this pandemic. And I suppose I should clarify, we're mainly talking about news media here. Yeah, we've seen some amazing coverage around COVID and unfortunately that just we're just not seeing that with coverage of climate change. But before we get into all of that, Ellen, I'm going to ask you some pretty big questions. What is the news anyways, Ellen? Who decides on what's on the news? Uh, is everything that's on the news important? And are the things that don't feature on the news not important? Wow, that's 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 lots of questions. Um, Just so general what, answers, yeah. Yeah. So what what is the news? Well, I think the news is it can be the news can be Mary down the road broke her leg from your mother, you know, <laughs> the local gossip, all the way up to you know international, you know, local stories, international stories. The news is what's being reported on by journalists. And who decides what's on the news? Well, typically it's it's journalists that decide what is what is on the news because they look at what people what they think people want to hear and what is significant and what will spark interest and so they are the people who who make the news. Yeah. yeah. Um and there's is everything that's on the news important? Um well, Kim Kardashian Maybe important to some people. She's not important to me. So I suppose that's a personal yeah, thing, you know. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I, I just sorry, just to go back a little bit. Yeah. Um, there, you know, there the in terms of who decides what's on the news, there is, there is a big element of money and trying to sell papers, which is a huge part of it. But then, news has in some way become a bit more democratized because of social media and you know some issues will be raised because of movement on social media but then on the other hand That's true yeah there is a dynamic i think where the traditional media outlets are trying to pander to 
this new social media culture and they're just putting articles up for clicks rather than reporting on the important stuff, which is really, really relevant uh, in terms of climate change. So like what you said about reporting, say RT News reporting on the Kardashians, that's not because they're doing their duty as public service broadcasters to think the public needs to hear this about Kim Kardashian. <laughs> that's because they think it will get the likes and shares on on social media. And sometimes, you know, like we, we buy a paper of, of a weekend and sometimes you'll see a headline in a newspaper and you'll see the same article online with a completely different, much more sensationalist headline. Yeah. Um, which yeah, is yeah. really, really interesting. And um, so, yeah. Yeah. Then Ellen, is everything that's not on the news not important? Um, well, I think we all know the answer to that. No, everything that's not on the news is not unimportant because the one thing that consistently does not make the news is the climate crisis, the yeah. climate, biodiversity, environmental crisis. You know, there's so much going on there nationally and internationally. And for the most part, it does not make the news. Yeah, and I To th- yeah. the extent... To the extent that our own national broadcaster was brought in front of a joint Oireachtas committee in 2019, in January 2019, along with our meteorological um, organisation, MetAirn, to to defend them or to 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 be asked questions as to why they were not covering climate yeah. change. And I, I and there's so I, this it's really easy to talk about this because there are so many examples of where it's not being done well. Obviously, and this is all tragic, really. But remember the Amazon fires in twenty nineteen. Remember that, Ellen. Yeah. And that got so that got a lot of coverage. Now I still remember it was on Channel Four News for days Notre before. Dame got more coverage. Sorry. Notre Dame got the burning of Notre Dame got more coverage. Believe it or not, it did. But what's but what's even more shocking is that the Amazon fires in twenty twenty were worse than the Amazon fires in twenty nineteen, and they got almost no coverage. And I think that shows the big problem with climate change is that basically one of the big reasons the Amazon fires probably got coverage was it was in the summer of 2019, a traditionally quiet period for news. So there wasn't much else going on. 2020, there's this COVID stuff. So they just didn't have time to COVID. talk about the Amazon fires and it's not and, it's not a priority. And white people's houses were on fire in 2020 as well. So there was the Australian fires with the yeah. koalas and all of the people that are, you know, us as Western first world countries can identify with. And then there was the California fires. Yeah. They made the news. So they they superseded the the Amazon fires because they yeah. were more relatable to us. And uh, yeah, uh, yeah, and I think it's just really, it's really worth pointing out that in general, it, and you don't have to look too hard anymore, thankfully, but there is climate news every day. There is new research that comes out that's relevant. There are natural disasters that are induced by climate change. Somalia had its first ever hurricane a few weeks ago in November 2020 was not reported in the Irish media at all. Incredibly unusual. You know, a real warning sign and just just not there. So I think the sort of question that I ask myself now is if you only listen to RTE and the other traditional news outlets in Ireland, would you understand how urgent climate change is? And I think the answer is you definitely wouldn't. So then I think where the big problem comes in 
is, are you the kind of person that decides what's important in the world and in your life based on what's on the news? <laughs> and if you are, then you probably need to change that a little bit. And the thing is, though, then that, that puts the onus back on you to actively seek mm-hmm. out news. Yeah. And, and like, Dara, people have 20 million other things going on in their lives sure. at the moment. Absolutely. And I, RTE yeah. and is I, our public service broadcaster, yeah. public service. They have, a, they have a duty to do it. And it's this, it's this really weird thing, because we'd be in a few WhatsApp groups together, Ellen. And it's this terrible, it's this terrible thing that people that are involved in in climate change or concerned about climate change that when you see a really bad news story about climate change on the news or in the Irish Times <laughs> oh god yeah you're really happy about it yeah because <laughs> you're like thank god they're talking about it it's like yay it's they're covering terrible. climate change <laughs> people are drowning in the Philippines but they're covering climate change thank god it's terrible it's really it's it's such a it's such a paradox and to be fair there are lots of other reasons why climate change doesn't get coverage that like it's not an immediate thing it's abstract it's very slow moving and it feels far away do you know what else do you know what else is it it actually doesn't get clicks like yeah. i've heard from a f- number of journalists now because we we have them come in to talk to us on our course and it doesn't get the clicks it doesn't involve personalities like even like brexit does like brexit is like brexit is essentially reality tv that, you know, there's yeah. Boris going over to the EU and it's got all these personalities up until recently. Maybe that changed a little bit with Greta Thunberg, you know, being the embodiment of That's climate true. action. And even Donald Trump, you know, Donald but, Trump became this persona for like everything that's wrong with the world that is ruining the planet. So um, back in the early 2000s, Al, you know, we had Al Gore as well. And then you know, there there were a few personalities and yeah. they all just seemed to, to die away. We, we need We need... Yeah, yeah, we need some kind of crazy scientist. But absolutely, Dara, like the, the lack of climate celebrities. Yeah. Is, but, is We need Kim Kardashian. <laughs> but but having said that, I think that the overriding thing for me is this thing about public broadcasters have a duty to inform the public about the really important things. And when we think about that in terms of COVID like COVID really does point the way into what should be happening with climate coverage and then does also sort of raise a few red flags about, ooh, that wasn't great. Um, So what should the media do? And there have been some different researchers that have ascribed roles. So one is to inform the public. One is to analyze and do explanatory journalism. So that would be like, that's hugely important. So that's taking things like, you know, 415 parts per million carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Mm. Like, what does that mean? And ex- breaking that down into something that everybody can understand. Yeah. And so, that is huge. Yeah. So let's let's talk about that in COVID terms. At the start, when there was this breakout. So let's think about it in terms of informing the public and this explanatory journalism. I think that... RTE and the other news outlets did an amazing job on this. They had experts on. They had demonstrations on Primetime or Claire Byrne of how to wash your hands. They explained the OR numbers. They showed what getting a COVID test was like. They explained transmission. They did a really, really, really good job. 
And again, I think that was under the mantle of a structural framework from the government of kind of a pathway of what we need to do in order to work in in, in a pandemic as well. So again, I think that the media took took this role on, but they also had kind of a, a framework with with which to follow. And I suppose I'm defending the media now, but in some ways they they don't they're kind of flying free with with climate change. They don't have that structure that they have with COVID. Yeah, there's, that, there's yeah. other yeah. So again, I think it comes back to this kind of every everybody needs to to play their part in order to to make it work with climate change. I think there was so much. There was so much. Oh, good absolutely! Stuff they took it and, and run with it. Yeah, and with that information and with kind of this practical guidance given by the media, pe- people were able to actually make change and know that they were doing the right thing. And you were, you're talking about education. It, it educated people and people were able to like change their behaviours and actually, you know, have that bit of control in, in keeping COVID down. I think it's okay to reiterate that the RT news coverage was really good. The stuff on Primetime, the stuff on Clareburn was all really good to help people understand, even the Late Late Show, to provide sort of reassurance. So we're talking about the Irish Late Late Show. The Irish Late Late Show, (laughs) which is, I think it's the, is it the longest running? Television show on Earth or on... In the world, in the universe, yeah, on the whole planet. started before television was even invented, apparently. Um, (laughs) One thing that was really important, I think, in terms of the education side in particular of the media coverage of COVID was the daily press briefings, because that was this really, really interesting dynamic where basically we would usually have had maybe two or three public health officials and maybe a politician every day for, it must have been the first, I have no concept of time, so I'm going to say it was the first month and a half. It might have been a week. It might have been three months. Who knows? Concept of time has gone with COVID. Those press briefings are still actually going on, Dara. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. They've, they, since I think it was July, they've reduced them from daily to twice weekly. Oh, right. Okay, very good. Yeah, so basically what happened was these experts came out every day and answer questions for maybe up to an hour that the media were asking. So it did this really good thing where the experts were able to communicate direct to the public because it was shown on TV on our news channel every day. But then it also allowed the journalists to ask questions so that they could understand it and report better on it, which I think really think that that can't be understated the impact that that had in 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 those early days in providing the coverage because some of the questions <laughs> that some journalists asked were really you know it's sort of they were even asking the questions you'd be afraid to ask for fear of looking ignorant exactly exactly you know? yeah but that's, i that's, think yeah, there's a real exactly. thing you've talked about climate change is not immediate so there's a huge difference there between covid and climate change that i think the media really needs to look at how it can be overcome in that there's a real sense of immediacy to covid you could get it yourself tomorrow you know yeah. your uncle might be in hospital with it you're you know you're petrified that your granny with the underlying condition could have it people were dying every day from it And that's, you know, that's part of the role of journalism is to report on the immediate news.
one of the other things where I think the media coverage of COVID becomes a bit more uh, contentious is the idea of providing a public forum for debate. Have you any thoughts on the good aspects or the bad aspects of that in relation to COVID, Ellen? I do, actually. So I think I think there's two there's two ways of looking at public forum for debate. So number one, I think debate is healthy and very important. And I think but I think it very much depends what you're debating. If you're debating the science. So if you're debating the facts, the facts and the science are the facts. You don't need to provide another side of the story to something that is a fact. You don't have to get people out when a lot of concrete hard data is there to back it up. You don't need to debate that. But I think where you're trying to highlight the other side of the story for people who are disaffected as a result of the consequences of changes that have been made to deal with COVID or with climate change, I think if you silence those people, you end up with a whole population Mm. of people who are disenfranchised. Whereas I think if you air the grievances of those people you do highlight the issues they're facing and then you can potentially provide reasons for why why we're doing this. You can kind of answer those yeah. questions and also you can say, well, how can we make it better for them? Yeah, and I think so to, I think to provide COVID-related examples to what you were saying there, having debate about the restrictions, that's fair enough. Like saying, is this the right thing to do? Is it not? Um, you know, say like closing down the pubs or or whatever. But saying when there's enough evidence to say the face masks work, yeah. bringing that up to, for debate, that is not that is not good. That is not providing a public forum. That's kind of flying in the face of science reality. Yeah. Um, and then similarly, if a public health official tells me if we carry on business as usual as we are for the next three weeks, we project that we're going to have a thousand cases a day. I know that there might not be exactly a thousand cases. There might be some more, there might be some less, but things are going to get worse. If an economist tells me that that's not the case, yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to believe that. So, you're not, but if forums, it's presented in a public forum on a, you know, reputable, in a reputable media source yeah. and there's a debate and maybe you've missed the very beginning and you don't know it's an economist <laughs> debating exactly. a public health official, that becomes potentially a little bit dangerous. For sure. And it's, and it, and it is such, it is like, I'm not pretending that it's easy. It's a really fine line that the media have to walk in, in that regard, but it is just worth being aware of that not everything is up for debate. (laughs) Some things are just facts and then some things are very, very, very close to facts like projections um, that have been done using the scientific method. Um, Um, Well, one thing, you know, does the media have a duty to reflect the opinions of the silent majority? So much of the time mm. we hear the voices coming out and, you know, I understand why these people are speaking. So you hear that the public, the publicans, the restaurant owners, um, the, the, the airline operatives. And absolutely, you know, it's their businesses, it's their jobs, it's it's their livelihoods. But 
you know, we talk about providing balance. There, that those arguments are not always balanced by maybe the vulnerable, the sick, those cocooning, the elderly, yeah. the and those yeah. of us who who are afraid of of cases rising. The silent majority. Yes, and the polling, particularly around this, indicates that the public have been ahead of both the politicians and the media in terms of wanting the restrictions, wanting to keep keep case numbers down, in terms of being happy to make those sacrifices. And that hasn't been reflected in the media, and it hasn't been reflected by the political actions in Ireland. So the polling shows that people are happy to, to stay at home, they're, they're happy to... Um, yeah. To, to live in, in, in restrictions. But once those restrictions are list, lifted, like on a kind of a national level, while people don't, you know, for the most part would prefer to live in restrictions, once restrictions are lifted, it changes their behaviour. Sure, yeah, for sure. And once they, yeah, once they yeah. read that in the paper, you know, as well, like, yeah, basically, yeah. you have to have a structural, a structure to guide public behaviour because even with the best will in the world people will change their behaviour if, if if we have the latitude to change it. Let's take everything we've talked about with COVID and let's now try to apply that to climate change. So if we go back to the media's role, the first roles that we said about informing the public and providing that education to people about the issue. So we said it was really good with covid it is not the case with climate coverage <laughs> at all, I think. Like there's, there's just such a huge issue with informing people about climate change. And I think part of it is because climate change is so all-encompassing. And it's like, where do you even start? It's, it's a bit like trying to boil the ocean. Um, and secondly, um, you know, studies have been done. Is informing people enough? So if I tell you, you know about climate change, is that going to be enough to change your behaviour? Like everyone thinks, well, if they just knew, if they just knew they would change. Well, yeah, but I I think the other side of, yeah, I think the other side of that is informing the public definitely isn't enough, but it is necessary. Absolutely, Dara. It's completely necessary. Yeah. If, if COVID was being covered the way in the media, the way climate change is being covered, then basically what we would have is we would have loads of coverage about wearing masks, about social distancing, about businesses being closed down with no reference at all to the virus itself and the, the deaths. And and those that mask wearing would be portrayed in a negative light. So the disadvantages of mask wearing, the, the horror of having to social distance, it, it wouldn't but, be in but, a positive but, but way. But Ellen, yeah. of course, if, um, if, <laughs> if all you saw on the news was businesses being shut down, having to wear masks and having to social distance without being told about the science of the virus. Without knowing why. Without knowing what it is. Then people are automatically going to be negative about the masks and about the businesses being closed down. And that is what's happening with climate change. Most climate coverage will be about carbon taxes, or will be about... Jobs being lost, like Board Nimona being closed down, power plants being closed down. Exactly. And these are all bad things. But if you, if the, if that coverage is being accompanied by information about why it is essential, 
like why mask wearing yeah. is essential why then it becomes more palatable it becomes understandable and we just have not we just have not had that most of the discussion has been around these measures has been around the short-termism without acknowledging that it is a climate crisis it is a climate emergency and without giving the public the tools to understand why it is a crisis why it is an emergency and what's frustrating is there's potential you could you could have a five minute segment about climate change every day on the news without without it being contrived because there's so much going on there's so much happening like oh and a a really good metaphor or not a metaphor but is sport important like is sport really important? Why is it like? Why is it on the news? It's immediate. It's because it's immediate. I know, and I and I love sport. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm being, I'm being a bit facetious here, but like I do, I love sport. Uh, love watching sport. <laughs> Mayo for Sam. Actually, it's All Ireland <laughs> final day today, lads. If Mayo win the All Ireland, I think that is the biggest ever boost to Irish climate to the <laughs> Irish climate movement because they have been knocked down. So many times they have gone through the ringer. Jeez, if they won today. Are you calling Dublin big oil? Is Dublin like the fossil fuel industry? (laughs) Dublin (laughs) is the fossil fuel industry. Absolutely. Dublin is the cat who got the cream. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Yes. And and Mayo is, you know, Mayo is the underdog. Uh, Like the climate activists trying to trying to fight. So I think, yeah, I think I think when you just juxtapose the sports coverage in the media with climate coverage, that's when it becomes really, yeah, really tragic almost. I've looked at a couple of articles online, uh, some RTE articles. So a shout out to a Twitter account called at RTE Climate Watch who every day will say how many articles RTE have had that have mentioned climate change. Spoiler alert. And <laughs> it's not great. <laughs> <laughs> it's not great. But I think there, there are a few examples. You know, why, why the media coverage is so disappointing. Uh, in this article, there's uh, talking about an exciting opportunity for the people of Ireland. And it wants oh, to Jesus take a guess Star, what it's about, Ellen. Me, like, it's Saturday morning here. Don't ruin my weekend. Go on. Uh, deal signed to develop Barry Row oil and gas field. Oh no, not Barry Row, Dara. Go. Um, there was a stretch between. No, like I think up to September, where RTE published 10, 10 articles about re- reference about the this gas and oil field. Of course. How many of these? How many of these articles, Alan? Do you think reference mentions climate they, change? Every single one of them, Dara, should have referenced climate change and how utterly and morally wrong it is to take anything out of Barry Row. And every single one of them failed to mention climate change. Um, Dara, that's that's article, actually criminal. This, like that's really wrong. Like. It's inexcusable. Yeah, this article, I think there was one in October maybe that did mention it. This one is from the 30th of November and it, um, and it doesn't mention climate change. So like that would be like saying, that would be like saying in the middle of COVID, uh, 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 an impromptu music festival for 100,000 people in, in the Curra Race Course is an exciting opportunity for Ireland. Economically it is. Socially, it is COVID-wise, absolute disaster. It's a horror that show. is the that is the that is the equivalent. Oh, um, 
there's an idiom there, Dara. There, the, so journalists don't tell us what to think, but they do tell us what to think about. Um, and the way they frame an article, so the way the language they use, the parts of the stories they pick out can actually influence how we think about an issue. So that's actually, there's a huge responsibility there, Dara. Like, you know, to take this seriously. Uh, This is something that happens quite often is that sometimes experts are talking about climate change and the article comes across solely as their opinion. So an example here is EPA says decade of action needed on environment. Okay, so like a decade of action is needed on the environment. Like that is that is a scientific fact. Um, and then the article sort of goes through all the things that um, all the things that the director general, Laura Burke of the EPA says. And it basically like most sentence, most of it starts with she pointed out or Miss Burke said this, she said, will involve. Miss Burke said, I'm looking, she is calling for, Miss Burke says, um, all of the sentences start with what she says and there's none of the like actual facts, the actual reality woven into it. Okay. So it makes it sound like things are up for debate. So while I wouldn't um, read that as being up for debate, potentially somebody could. Of course, yeah, of course, because if you don't know, then you think, oh, this is what this person I'd be there going, like, yay, no. they're publishing stuff yeah, about yeah, the environment. No, <laughs> And and then and you see that kind of stuff a lot, like where, you know, record record heat wave in Australia, and the news coverage is showing people out on the beach. It's yeah. Like, oh, this is Australia that was literally on fire a year ago, yeah. and they're having another heat wave. Oh, oh, but they're all at the beach. That's grand. Or it was like back in February, February of this year, we had a huge heat wave here, which was completely abnormal, and the pictures showed people like with their shirts off in the park eating ice cream and it was kind of almost a celebrated event whereas my heart was Mm. quietly breaking at the thought of how abnormal the the weather was. That was freaky it was it was so strange Um, so in terms in terms of those two big things of informing the public and and educating the public it it doesn't happen (laughs) it doesn't happen uh, near as much as it should with climate change you know, going back to how journalists tell the story, it's just how how it's framed. So what kind of language they use. Most uh, the, the studies have shown that in Ireland, most of those studies frame climate change as something that will affect the economy or as something that politicians, yeah, yeah. it's a kind of a, a football politicians argue about. And psychologists have looked at framing the climate change story as a political thing. and what it does is it it makes it makes people think well that's actually nothing to do with me then that's something for the politicians to deal with and the first time that changed um was pope francis published a book an encyclical called laudato si it was called our it was about our common home and it was the first time that journalists actually framed or talked about climate change in a different way. It was the first time that climate change was predominantly spoken about as something to be seen as a moral or an ethical issue, something that's going to affect humanity. It, they took it out of the hands of the economy and the politicians and made it a human, a human thing. So shout out to Pope Francis. <laughs> yeah. 
so then Ellen that's another let's that brings us nicely to this idea of balance in the coverage so if when you see cycling being debated like which has happened a lot on on Irish news because cycle lanes shout out to the people of Sandy Mount (laughs) (laughs) of where Sandy Mount there is a huge furore going on because they're trying to put a cycle lane into Sandy Mount and one of the national papers and actually a paper that's really good Mm. normally at covering climate change uh, appears to have a Sandy Mount resident I think like leading the paper and leading the charge against those dirty cyclists managing to take (laughs) some car space away from the the residents of Sandy Mount yeah and basically this whole debate is is being talked about in sort of the cars, the traffic versus the cycling without any reference to the climate emergency. So there is this, the the debate is being, it's not a full debate. It's not a true debate because if you're not having this debate about reducing car traffic, okay, it might, it might, it might be more inconvenient for the people that do continuing to, that do continue to drive and there might be more traffic. But or let's start at the beginning, maybe. Yeah. It's not as inconvenient as the changes climate change are going to bring um, that we are exacerbating by driving. You're talking about balance there. So the whole issue with uh, balance and climate change, oh, you know, in the last couple of decades used to be these corporate think tanks with like vested interests supported by the fossil fuel industries trying to balance this climate science with climate denial. But I think we're not seeing that so much now as we're not seeing stories about fossil fuel opportunities or other economic opportunities balanced with the consequences of climate action. Yeah, and when when we're having these debates that the actual climate reality is still should be front and center or should at least be acknowledged but you're allowed to just skip over that but the thing is you see i suppose most of the journalists so the person reporting on barry row might be the business and marketing correspondent yep. the person reporting on uh, you know they're kind of these they're not the environmental journalist and sometimes i think that in the climate change reporting is siloed oh that is the job of the environmental correspondent when actually every single the political correspondent the business correspondent the science correspondent the agricultural correspondent the education correspondent every one of them they actually all need to be reporting through a lens of of climate change and the consequences that we face if we don't act. Yeah, yeah, and I think that brings us back to back to those early months of COVID, where all that scientific information was out there, and all the journalists could inform themselves, and then use Absolutely. that and have that in mind when they were when they were reporting. Do you like the journalists? I I find them infuriating to watch because I don't think the right questions are being asked. I don't think politicians are being held to account enough um, about the implications of their climate actions. So at the moment, we are we're recording this. It's a week to go till Christmas. The solstice is tomorrow. <laughs> the solstice is tomorrow. And the latest we're hearing is that... Um, is that we are going to be going back into fairly severe COVID restrictions before New Year's. So we're out of restrictions now. We'll have a normal-ish Christmas. And then before New Year's, we're back in in lockdown. If things go really badly wrong in January, 
the journalists will be criticizing the government for their for their for their actions that They'll led be to asking this. Asking questions. They'll they be asking w- them to be answerable to how they made yeah, their decisions. If, if our hospitals are overrun in January or mm. or if there's a spike in deaths. Because they understand. But there is there but there is not the same scrutiny. There is not this same level of accountability that journalists hold politicians to when it comes to climate change. Uh, is that what's that sound? Is that is that your phone? Yeah, yeah. And actually, Dara, I know I know who this is. Uh, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna answer it. Hello. Hi, it's Future Dara here, calling Hi. from February 2021. This isn't going to be good, is it? Uh, so guys, Hi, Dara. some bad news. Um, things have gone pretty badly wrong since you recorded this episode. Ah, Christ. COVID got out of control. We have had a thousand COVID deaths in January. Schools have remained closed after Christmas holidays. And the vaccine rollout oh, has been pretty shambolic. And guys, listening back to this episode, I think you would have expected great media scrutiny um holding the politicians to account mm-hmm. and actually it probably hasn't happened to the extent that you would have imagined or hoped um a lot uh, of the media are kind of just letting the politicians get on with it a bit like they're letting them get on with the lack of climate action so you're probably going to have to get ready for some homeschooling again ellen no you can't say that god the schools dara no That's horrendous. And I I think actually, you know, that come that really seeks well into what are our actions for the week, Dara. Yeah, it does. What are our actions for the week? And so I would say if you are a journalist, if you know a journalist, if you can find a journalist, (laughs) educate yourself on climate change. Start reporting the news through the lens of climate change because it is it is vital. It's it's just yeah. It's 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 a crisis that will affect us all. And yeah, uh, yeah. and even if you're not a journalist, and if you wa- or anyone that wants to learn more about climate change, genuinely reach out to one of us. Like I, for anyone that's sincere about wanting to learn about climate change, I would happily sit down with people for as long as they want to explain whatever they're unsure about. Yeah, I'm with you on that one, Dara. And you know what? If you don't know a journalist, um, something I've I've done, and I think it's 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 definitely made some small impact. Um, I've written to Met Aaron this year, asking them to follow up on their promises that they made to the government to increase their climate change reporting. Um, and I got all of my classmates, myself and my classmate, wrote a letter, and I got all of my classmates in the masters. To I offered it them to, to sign it, um, and you know, similarly, I tend on social media to ask media outlets to report more on climate change, and if more of us do that, we can reach a critical mass where perhaps the news media outlets will start to think, okay, maybe we need to do a bit more reporting on climate change. Yeah, yeah, and that's so true. And that Met Aaron thing was a really, really good example. Um, and they have had a couple of instances where the coverage has actually been really good since then. Absolutely. So 
I'm not saying it was definitely you that No, no, it was wasn't. It wasn't me. But I, I was, was part of the jigsaw. <laughs> it's yeah. like that little water, the Chinese water torture, every drip, you know, <laughs> makes a little dent in the stone. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, my action does not involve torture. Um, <laughs> um, at times in this episode, we've praised the media for their COVID coverage and we've been critical of a lot of climate coverage. And I think one action is actually just being a bit more critical of your media consumption. So when you see articles about climate change, you know, kind of question the angle that it's coming from. Are they taking all the facts into account? And Mm -hmm. then also when you're not seeing articles about climate change, kind of wonder, oh, is there actually no climate news or is it just not being reported? Just not being reported. Yeah. And and that's that's a really fine line to walk. Like we don't want to get into this world of Trumpian dystopia where we're shouting about fake news um, and fake mainstream media and all that. But there really is a fine line to walk. As we've said, there's climate news every day of the week. So it should be more prevalent than it is in newspapers and on the news on TV. Yeah. And we could also suggest supplementing your news intake with sources that actually cover climate a little bit more comprehensively. So the Guardian, they have a whole climate crisis section on their website. The Sunday Times has actually brought out a monthly supplement now as well, um, dedicated to to climate news. Um, Then there's some really good kind of smaller publications like greennews.ie is excellent, Carbon Brief. And um, I'm a devil for the social media. I love following the environmental journalists on the social media, Dara. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, John Gibbons is a great person to follow um, yeah. he often tells it like it is an Irish journalist um, George Monbiot who is or was the environmental correspondent for The Guardian also really tells it like it is who else Ellen? Kevin O'Sullivan's excellent he's brilliant and Caroline O'Doherty t- and, and Cale Crossan actually three excellent um, Irish climate journalists and then We've had, fin- yeah, Philip yeah. Boucher-Hayes, I suppose, does uh, has done some great documentaries and great yeah. pieces about climate change. And then I'd also say Fintan O'Toole, you know, in his sort of weekly editorials, climate change is creeping yeah. in more and more yeah. into that. His sort There's of big, definitely a consciousness his, his, creeping in there. His, his big the picture s- writings. The Sunday Business Post as well. Daniel Murray, he's, he's also taken up the environmental journalist mantle for the Sunday Business Post. Very good. And then I suppose you could go, if you're on social media, you could go one step further, Ellen. You know, we talked about that interface of having the public health scientists interacting directly with the public. You can kind of synthesize that on social media by following, you know, some climate scientists who, Mm -hmm. who are sharing their, who are sharing their research and their thoughts on social media. Absolutely. A couple of people on that front uh, would be Peter Kalmus. Catherine Hayhoe. Oh yeah, I love Catherine Hayhoe. She's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, who else, Ellen? Um, Eric Holthouse. Jonathan Foley's excellent. Um, and Kevin Anderson. I, I love what they have to say. Yeah. Um, in an Irish context then, Professor Barry McMullen, who's the head of engineering in DCU, but he does a lot of work in sort of carbon budgets and that. And is very, you know, he's very frank about the scale of the crisis. It, there's no... Um, there's no pussyfooting around it with them, so no. he's really, really good, really good to, uh, yeah, really good to follow. Uh, then also Michael Mann and Eric Holthouse, 
well worth yeah. uh, well worth a follow too. And then I'm just also going to say, uh, not a journalist, not a climate scientist, but our own president, Michael D. Higgins, really talks well about the big picture stuff. You can go on to his website, president.ie, and look at any of his speeches, whether he's talking to an engineering conference, an economic conference, an education conference, he will mention the climate crisis, he will mention the big picture, which is Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, he's brilliant. He's brilliant. And, and you know, if you do, because the one thing about COVID, again, the journalists say one thing, COVID versus climate, people are stone mad for COVID. There's a huge appetite for any articles to do with COVID. Whereas climate people, they don't generate the same clicks. So you know what? If you see an article on climate change, maybe give it a click. Have an old read of it. You have to seek out the climate stuff at the moment. And I think another another thing to draw on a, a parallel is that, you know, I've said the public are way ahead of the government and the media when it comes to COVID. They are also ahead. I'm sure of it that they are ahead of the government and the media when it comes to climate. But the access to information is still difficult. So you can still do it, but it's it's more difficult. Um, and yeah, I think that that is worth that is worth pointing out. The public are are ahead of the media on on this on climate, just like they are on COVID. COVID has shown us how great the media can be. You know, like I have never, I have never had as much respect, um, and never valued RTE as much as I did in those opening weeks of COVID. And they are our public service broadcaster, and they do have an obligation to do the same with climate change. And hopefully that <laughs> hopefully we're going to see that because we need that. And that is the piece of the puzzle that if if the media are, you know, are investigating into uh, practices or companies that aren't doing climate stuff right, if they are holding the politicians to account, if they are informing the, the public, if they are showing the public the actions they can take, if they are being truthful about the scale of the crisis... <laughs> then we're sorted. Do you know what I mean? Like that. Like it's such a huge piece of the puzzle. Just ask them to to put that little piece of the puzzle now into the jigsaw. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but in the meantime, be critical. Be critical of of the climate coverage that you see and the climate coverage that you're not seeing. So, throughout this whole episode, we've been talking about news media. OK, um, and I suppose we have to keep in mind that media is is wider than that. Um, and so you can have like soap operas, magazines, music, poetry, influencers, social media. Um, so I am putting a call out to just go beyond even news journalists to people maybe who, for whatever reason, aren't that interested in the news. Um, so if you are active in any of the arts, creativity, anything at all to do with media, think, could I maybe inject something about climate change into my work? Um, you know, could we have a tsunami in EastEnders? Could Kim Kardashian put out a couple of tweets about how she's going to eschew her private jet for 2021? You know? Drought in Fair City. Could, forest fires in Emmerdale. Could Carrickstown become an eco-village? You know? Could could some songwriter, could Hosier write a song about saving the planet. And I think, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that social media has blurred that line and, and you know, sharing sharing good articles, sharing good art, sharing good media, good 
coverage of climate change is is an important thing that you can do and find you know find that find those tv shows find those songs and and share like Dara, them. last week we we had one of our actions as you know start a conversation with your friends about climate change well if you have mm. a platform like if you have a load yeah. of followers if you yeah, are sure. out there well you should you can you start a conversation about climate change with the wider public i think Politically and, you know, in terms of that social standing that people have, that's going to, that's even from a selfish point of view, that's going to reward you. You know, if you start ringing the bell about climate change now, if you're a musician, guarantee you five years down the line, people will say, ah, Ellen Hegarty, she was, she was, she was talking about the climate way before it was cool, you know, and you'll have, so even if, even if you're just doing it for really selfish reasons of self-image, Start doing it now and it will stand to you like long term. Snoop Dogg, if you're listening. (laughs) 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 Cardi Um, B. Yeah, yeah. Cardi B. If you're if you happen if you're in control, Snoop Dogg. If you're in control of if you Snoop Dogg. If you're in control of the planet, <laughs> drop it like it's hot because climate change is boiling this place up. <laughs> this episode of the COVID Alarm Clock was written and presented by Dara Wynn and Ellen Hagerty. It was produced and edited by Robert Cotter. Please follow us on social media for up-to-date news on the podcast and the climate crisis. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram at COVID Alarm Clock. And tune in next week when our episode will be on the subject of the economy. So until then, we'll see ya. Good luck. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mayo for Sam.